Hello, everyone, and thank you for downloading this mid-month episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. I'm Maddie Watts, and my voice sounds a little bit different today. I caught a cold, and then I maybe screamed a little too much in the trauma bay, and unfortunately have lost my voice. So without further ado, we're going to dive into the episode today. Today, we will cover one of the most feared complications of the vaginal delivery, which is a shoulder dystocia and give you some basic maneuvers to try before OBGYN comes down, as this is something that we should at least have a basic knowledge of as EM physicians who may perform deliveries. Next is the best part of this whole series. We are gonna talk with Mike about his first ED vaginal delivery as an attending. You guys are gonna absolutely love this segment. I'm really excited to share it with you. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Before we get into the content for this episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Pearson Ravitz Insurance. As you all know, Pearson Ravitz has been a longtime supporter of this show, and they specialize in a product called Own Occupation Disability Insurance. This is something that virtually every physician should be buying as early as possible in their career, and certainly before the end of residency. Stephanie Pearson was a physician who herself was injured on the job and unfortunately learned the hard way that not all of these policies are created equal. Even though many of them claim to be policies designed for physicians, it's the fine print that matters. That is why you need to get an independent disability insurance agent who isn't captive to any one particular insurance company. They will tell you the pros and cons of all the policies that you qualify so that you can make an informed decision that's right for you. Don't wait until it's too late. Go to www.pearsonravitz.com and set up a phone call to discuss your options. There's one more thing I would like to discuss before we bring Mike on to discuss about his very exciting and also slightly terrifying first vaginal delivery in the ED as an attending. What I want to talk about is shoulder dystocia. Fortunately, Mike did not have a shoulder dystocia, But this is one of the things that we talked about that he was sincerely hoping would not happen in his first ED delivery. At a minimum, there are two basic maneuvers for shoulder dystocia that we as EM clinicians need to know about. McRoberts maneuver and suprapubic pressure. If you ever have a shoulder dystocia, these two maneuvers are successful in about 20 to 40% of cases. McRoberts' maneuver involves taking the mother out of the traditional dorsal lithotomy position, where legs are up and out in kind of a frog leg arrangement, and placing them instead in a position where knees are to chest. According to one of the OB attendings that I worked with, this is most successful when you actually straighten the maternal legs first and then push directly backwards with legs parallel to the hips and knees all the way to the chest. The second thing you do simultaneously is apply suprapubic pressure. This is significantly more pressure than even when delivering the placenta. Typically, a nurse will push an entire fist as hard as she can just above the pubic bone in an attempt to push the anterior shoulder beneath that pubic bone and allow it to come out through the introitus. The combination of these things is simple yet effective. There are many more additional maneuvers that OBGYNs learn for this condition, but we will not get into that with this podcast. It's important, however, to have a few basic things in your back pocket should this ever occur while you're in the ED and before OB has arrived. 
So that was our brief overview of shoulder dystocia. There will be links in the show notes to further information if you'd like to do research on what the next steps would be beyond McRoberts and suprapubic pressure. But without further delay, here is our interview with Mike. Enjoy. So Mike, I heard you had your first ED vaginal delivery as an attending. How did that go? Uh, that was terrifying, <laughs> um, <laughs> considering I was at a critical access hospital without the closest OB was about an hour away. Um, and yeah, I was, it was a slow afternoon as it usually is when these train wrecks come in. So at least the department mm-hmm. wasn't burning down, but I was, I was like, you know, trying to get my sign out ready for the next doc. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is such a great shift. And then I hear this woman screaming and the nurse comes grab me. Doc, I I hope you're ready to deliver a baby. And so, yeah, I mean, it went well. It went well. But for my first one as a new attending, it was pretty scary. (laughs) Yeah, I know I would have been terrified. Um, So I want you to walk the listeners kind of through your thought process. So we'll start off with... When you heard this woman screaming in labor pains, what supplies did you grab to have at the bedside? Well, the, f- the first thing I did was make sure that she's actually in labor um, before I jumped the gun. Um, so I the first thing I did was grab the ultrasound to make sure that the, the kid was head down, you know, vertex. Um, Mm-hmm. Because if there if it wasn't vertex and there was a chance that there was like a cord there, um, I didn't want to do a, a manual check on her. So the kid was vertex, and then I checked her, and um, she was more than fully dilated. I, I felt skull bone <laughs> when I did my <laughs> my uh, my check. Um, so yeah, I, us ED people aren't necessarily great at, at cervical checks, but if you feel the head, you feel pretty confident. You know what's gonna happen. Yeah, at that point, I. I t- took a deep breath and I was like, all right, this is happening. This is happening. Um, so, so the, the next thing, obviously we, we got the patient onto the, the bed and we went for the, the ED delivery kit. Um, most, if not all EDs should have one. If not the, the key things that were in this kit, I mean, I, I grabbed sterile gloves separately to do the, the, cervical exam, but, um, there should be sterile gloves in the kit, sterile towels, scissors to, uh, to cut the umbilical cord, right? You need umbilical cord clamps and some sterile gauze for the bleeding. And then, um, some kids have this, some kids don't, mine didn't. So I, I got a separate kit, but, um, sterile stuff for laceration repair. If there's, you know, like a terrible perineal repair that you have to you know, loosely approximate while you're transferring the patient. So like a needle driver and uh, tweezers and uh, suture. Um, Got it. And does your kit come with medications for hemorrhage control? Because I imagine Pitocin is not something we use that often, but I think most EDs should have it. I was going to say, yeah. Um, so this was separate. So we had the uh, the delivery kit itself, which had the the instruments. Then we had the medication kit. And the, the, the medication kit included, I think it was two vials of Tosin, uh, and then it also had vitamin K and erythromycin ointment for the, the neonate after they're born. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, 
I definitely would not thought of that. You know, whenever we're on labor and delivery, we're kind of all focused on mom and there's plenty of nurses and pediatricians ready to swoop the baby away. But you are both of their doctors when you're in the emergency department. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there were a couple other things that I did for myself just because, you know, it, it, my my OB rotation was one of my first rotations of intern year. So it had been about three and a half, maybe a little more years since I delivered a baby. So on my, so I, I always carry my NRP card. I have like a foldable card. I keep it in my vest that I wear every shift. I I carry NRP pals, ACLS, you know, just in case. And then, um, critical medications, that kind of stuff. So I pulled out my NRP card. Um, I, pulled up the APGAR scoring system on my phone because God, it's been three and a half years since I've done an APGAR. And then, um, (laughs) I also quickly reviewed the shoulder dystocia algorithm because I was like, well, this kid's not breached. I don't need to worry about that. I felt skull. I don't think it's going to be, you know, uh, uh, a prolapse cord or anything like that. So what could throw me off here? And I was like, okay, shoulder dystocia. Let's, let's make sure that that isn't going to be an issue. Yeah, it sounds like you were very prepared. Um, who did you have at bedside in terms of other hands in the department? And did you have anyone on the phone or kind of aware of what was happening when you realized that this was going to be an ED delivery? Yeah, so thank the Lord for our amazing charge nurse that day. So to set the scene, this is a critical access hospital that I work like two or three shifts a month. Um, So I don't know where anything is. You know, I I know my nurses and that's about it. I don't know anyone else. So um, we we basically split up into teams. We had like an OB team um, where I think we had two nurses and then we had a peds team with one nurse and one of the OB nurses, once the delivery would happen, would flip over to the peds team. Um, we also got the, the warmer, the neonatal bed thing, warmer turned on and all of that. And our charge nurse call so there's a local pediatrician close by that sometimes would show up for ED deliveries and they called her immediately. And, um, she was, busy at the time, but she eventually made it. Luckily, her services, NRP-wise, were not needed. The baby was healthy. Um, but we, we we called PEDS, and then we let our mothership hospital know, like the OB team at our mothership hospital, that um, we had one of their OB patients with us. We were going to do the delivery here, and then that she'd be coming. It's not like I had you know, an OB on the phone coaching me through this or anything like that, but they were aware that um, a precipitous delivery were happening and to expect a potentially messy transfer. Got it. And walk us through the delivery, specifically what things were different about an ED delivery compared to what you remember about being on L&D. I would say, so the, the, one of the big things was we we didn't have uh oh my gosh I'm blanking on it toco toco yeah toco yeah, yeah yeah we didn't we didn't have toco um so not that it would have been useful for us right because from what I remember the toco was useful like if the the kid the baby was having prolonged D cells they would that would be like an indication for a C section and obviously I'm not doing a C section um but we did have Doppler so we had a a nurse holding a a Doppler on the the patient's abdomen at all times just ensuring that we had a good heart rate even though you know I I don't know what 
we would have done differently if we lost that heart rate. You know, it's not like I could do a C-section yeah. at bedside. So that was one thing. And then um, I think the biggest thing when I was on labor and delivery, the nurses would do all the coaching and they were so good at it because that's, that's what they do. Um, but now that, that honest fell on me and coaching a, a patient through labor um, when it's been three and a half years, it, it took a minute for it to come back for me, but basically 10 seconds of pushing while having contractions, few seconds of rest with deep breaths and then go again. Normally try two or three rounds of pushing for every contraction and then have her have the patient rest um, between. Yeah. That sounds very scary, but it sounds like you kind of got everything prepared ahead of time, just like any procedure. It's all about the setup and seems like that made it go pretty well. Yeah, it it, it went pretty well. There was a there was a nuchal foot, um, which was actually kind of fun to reduce because it wasn't as stressful as like a true nuchal, you know, Um mm-hmm. So that's just another thing to to look out for. Um, And then I I think another thing that helped me um, prevent, you know, perineal lacerations, as I'm sure you remember on OB, but providing gentle pressure to help dilate the introitus so that baby's head doesn't tear something, you know, that kind of stuff was um, pretty helpful as well, I thought. Yeah, well... I know that not everyone in emergency medicine residency loves um, going on OB. It's just very different than the world we live in. But it sounds like those skills, even from three years ago, stuck with you and you did a great job. Yeah, somewhere deep in the back of my brain, (laughs) that information was. (laughs) Um, But I I guess it it takes a flight or flight scenario to to bring that back out. But everything worked out great. Mom was fine. Kid was fine. Um, I will say the, the one thing I... Uh, one of the big things I learned during the experience um, after talking to the OB after the delivery and giving sign out for transfer was that every postpartum patient gets Tosin. It doesn't matter if they're bleeding or not. They get Tosin, essentially, um, because I was able to stop her bleeding with fundal massage. Um, so when I was talking to the OB, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't give Tosin because she I was able to stop the bleeding. And they're like, no, just just give it. Like they could, they can always replete it. I was like, okay. And then I looked it up later and it's, it's indicated for pretty much everyone. So. Got it. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom. I know the listeners are going to love it. Um, and best of luck with your next ED vaginal delivery. Cause I'm sure it will come sooner rather than later. Uh, I, I sure hope not, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's all we have for today. Thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to learn more about shoulder dystocia, I have included some resources from ACOG and AAFP in the show notes. I only just breached the surface with this topic because I didn't want to get too into the weeds. I just wanted just to have a few basic things to remember, but there's a lot more material out there on this. And also as a reminder, this is an OB emergency. So if this happens, in the time when you're trying to deliver the shoulders and you feel resistance, you should call your OBGYN colleagues immediately um, as they're going to be the experts for handling this emergency. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was really exciting for me to record. I learned a lot. I hope you guys learned a lot. We have two more episodes of the OBGYN part of this podcast that will be upcoming in future months. And until next time, Keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.